Welcome to Ubaldi Reports. Now, this presidential election cycle has been strange. We've had the ups and downs. We've had the outsider candidates, at least for the Republican side, seem to have the sway of over the more established candidates. And then you have the Democratic race, which it looks like former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton has her road paved all the way through the nomination. We'll have to see what happens in the general election, and it depends on who the Republicans have. But today we have a special guest. We have Ray Young, who's the president of Razor Sharp Public Relations, located in Austin, Texas. Now, Ray's company delivers high-profile placements with local and national television and radio outlets, as well as in print, including daily papers, business journals, and trade journals. Ray has extensive experience working on national and state political campaigns and was the lead spokesman on various state and national campaigns. So let's welcome Ray Young. How's it going, Ray? Good, good. Thanks for having me, John. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Now, right off the gate, besides we go into the Republican side, how does this situation in Paris, the terrorist attack by ISIS in Paris, how does this change now the complexity on both the Democratic and the Republican races? Well, I think on, you know, on the... On the, I think it changes it uh, fairly dramatically, especially on the Republican side, um, but but to, to I think a significant significant degree to the uh, on the Democratic side. Um, I don't know if you watched the uh, the debate. I don't know. Other, I did. <laughs> very few people watched the debate, the Democrat debate. I think uh, last Saturday night. Um, but I, I was just kind of uh, shocked at, at, at you know when they asked Bernie Sanders. What's the biggest threat to to the United States? And it's not you know it's not ISIS or. Or, or you know, any number of other things. No, it's climate change, um, according to according to him. Um, but I think I think that the rank and file Democrats, I think, are, are going to be they're going to be becoming more and more concerned. At least those are the conversations I'm having. Um, but did you listen when you listen to the debate? The one thing you know, you made a good point about Bernie Sanders said it was um, climate change, and the other two were kind of dancing around it. But the one thing that I thought was strange, for the first 30 minutes, it was the moderator and the three candidates. Mm-hmm. There was no reaction, no clapping, cheering, booing, catcalling, anything out of a primarily a Democratic audience until they switched over to domestic issues. Now, do you think the Democrats, the rank-and-file Democrats, are concerned about foreign policy, or are they more concerned about domestic issues? I think they're more concerned about domestic issues. However, that said, I think they're far more concerned about domestic issues. But, but that said, um, the the events in Paris, I think, strike too close to home, and people realize, you know, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on, that hey, look, this is a reality that we have to face. And uh, you know, you had the, especially when when uh, you know. Uh, the leadership is saying, "Oh, everything's under control." I mean, Obama was on TV th- hours before the attack happened in Paris, saying that ISIS was contained. Clearly, it's not. Um, Correct. You know, and so these, uh, I, I think, I think people are really like it. Really shook a lot of people, uh, and I think it does change it. And I think the candidates um, are trying to dance around a little. And the Democratic can- candidates are going to be trying to dance around a, a bit. Um, because it's just it's just not a strong selling point for them. Um, on the on the Republican side, you see that um, I think it's like 31 governors already, and this is not correct. Uh, have already have already said they won't accept the the, the uh, refugees from Syria. Um, most of those are Republican, you know. And I think I think the candidates, you know, I mean, the candidates have come out and said made some strong statements. 
um, about the situation, and I think I think it's gonna it's gonna play well for them. I think it's definitely a strength of uh, you know, especially in the general election of, uh, of of the Republicans. So whoever the Republican candidate is, uh, I think it's a good it's a it's gonna be a, a winning issue. Um, the only thing is, 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 you know, people's, people's memories are very, very short when it comes to politics. So very short, very short. It's, you know, so, um, it remains to be seen how much, you know, how much, uh, hopefully these, this is kind of a one-off, but if it continues, it certainly is going to be a big, well, but see this, no, I think you're correct. Paul, you know, what happens now may be different. What happens come in the summer, but for those who are in the national security arena, which I fall myself into, since I've served over there, studied this, and I'm right next to U.S. Central Command, they're looking at the long-term effect. Mm-hmm. Now, since you run a public relations firm, did you listen to or get excerpts of the president's news conference yesterday? I heard I heard excerpts on the radio uh, and on different on different shows. Um, <laughs> the one it was it was pretty stunning. I mean, they asked uh, I I don't remember the reporter that asked him, but um, he basically said, you know, why aren't we why aren't we using? You know, we're looking around. You know, we're you called this the JV team. You know, a couple months ago, and now they're now they're attacking. You know, one of the icons of the West, um, and you also have. You, you know, we're, most a lot of Americans looking around saying we have the greatest military in the world, and and one day I think he said, "Why aren't we killing those bastards?" You know, and the president was obviously very irritated um, and said something to the effect of, "I think I already answered that question in the last three the last three answers I gave." Um, but I, I guess all that to say, you know, he seems to just be really – he's either really out of touch or he's getting – he's certainly out of touch. The question is, is he out of touch because of his ideology or is he out of touch because he's getting bad information, bad intel, uh, and his handlers are giving him, you know – And that's, and that's interesting because even when he started off the press conference, he went off into you know, cyber attacks, um, climate change, and then it took him a couple minutes – to even address the Paris um, attack, and, and you know, this a, isn't you're right, right. And, and remember, though, this president has a history of of not of, of seemingly not caring about the, the things that are important. You know, when there's different, I, I can't remember the exact incident, but I, there was a situation that happened, and he gave a press conference, and then he immediately went to the golf course. You know, oh, that was when one of the reporters was beheaded. Right. In, right um, by ISIS. Yeah, he was just minutes later, he went to went golfing. Right, right. Um, and I noticed he, he only got irritated this last – getting back to this last press conference yesterday um, at the G20 in, in Turkey is that when – he only got irritated when um, – you know, he, they started asking him and they just started the discussion about, you know, um, the refugees, the, the refugees coming – yeah, the refugees coming to – he was much more irritated that we would discriminate, quote unquote, uh, against – those are my words – against refugees than he was about the actual attack on Paris. You know, um, I don't know. No, because, because both sides, you know, Democrats – because Dianne Feinstein, who's hardly – a um a conservative she's you know a liberal democratic senator from california not a bastion of conservatism no not at all she she was even said we don't have a strategy or if we did our strategy is not working and i think some democrats may not say it openly but i think they're like mr president you're going to take us down now this is going to change the calculus for 
Secretary Clinton because she was his first Secretary of State in the first four years. Right. And, and then she was a disaster. I mean, she frankly, with Benghazi and other things, she was a disaster. Um, and I don't know how she can – I don't know how anybody can really honestly look at her record on foreign policy and think that she would be good for this country. But um, that that said, I, I was listening – Leon Panetta was on um, Fox – Fox News this afternoon, and I was I was listening to him, and he was very diplomatic and everything. But I I, I felt like, uh, you know, because he was you know Cavuto asked him about, you know, whether or not the the president was was off target, you know, and and, and is behind the game essentially when it comes to ISIS, and um, I think even with even with his diplomatic answer, I think I think uh, Panetta was thinking in in the back of his mind, and this is just me speculating. I think he's thinking. You know, Obama's really screwed the pooch on this one, but I really can't say anything. You know, and I th- I feel like that's a lot. A lot of Democrats are at that point, or or maybe they're where Dianne Feinstein is, which is really surprising. Is where they're at that point where they they're speaking out and saying, "Hey, we don't have a policy, or we don't have a strategy. We don't know what we're doing. This is out of control." Well, I think they're also thinking, you know, long term. I mean, you got to look at the election because first foreign policy was never really the top issue through the most of the debates it was all about the economy right and remember the republicans got hit hard on the first debate a little bit because they focused a little bit too much on the uh, foreign affairs now foreign policy is dominating the the campaign and it's going to be so for the next few months yeah yeah it now, is the, it the is other, it is go ahead now the other question is now that we're talking on foreign affairs First, the two top-tier candidates was Ben Carson and Donald Trump, the anti-establishment candidates. Because now we have this terror attack in Paris, and now we have the situation in the Middle East, is that going to change the calculus? Well, now you're going to see the more established candidates come up, like a Marco Rubio or a Ted Cruz, take a greater weight? I think I think you may see a little bit of a, a bump for them for Rubio. I mean, I could even see I could even see a, a bump for Bush. You know, given that uh, you know his brother was in office and, and handled things. You know, after nine eleven, um, is that going to happen? I don't know. I don't know, but I could definitely see that. Uh, I think I think though Trump Trump came out pretty strong against uh, you know in, in responding to this whole situation. So I think it's hard to say, but I, I don't know that it's going to be a huge. In terms of on the Republican side, you know, is it going to change the polls? I don't know that it's going to do that too much. Well, because the the one I bring the reason I brought that up is because there's a New York Times article that came out of, um, regarding, I guess, a former campaign staffer or a very mid-level campaign staff to Ben Carson, mm-hmm. and Ben Carson is getting spun up on foreign affairs because when he speaks about foreign policy, he doesn't have the the great depth. Or breath. Now, I know Donald Trump has been speaking out, but for somebody who studied the Middle East when I got my master's, he makes some statements that have me concerned that, that does he really understand the Middle East? Like when he said, we're just going to go over and take their oil and give it to our veterans. Well, that was one of the concerns that the Arab countries had when we started all mm-hmm. this. Well, this was all about oil. Right, right. And I, so, I, I think to your, to your point um, – you know, I think I think that the most the person that's most vulnerable to this you know this discussion is definitely Carson because he doesn't have the he doesn't have the uh, the, the background and so forth. I, I don't know that it'll it'll hurt him too much, but if this becomes more like I said before, if this becomes more and more of an issue, let's say you know God forbid that that ISIS stages you know another successful attack somewhere or, or several several attacks, it's going to be a huge issue, huge. 
And then I think at that point, you're going to really see some things shifting around. You're going to see Democrat, you know, it's going to it's going to shift the whole playing field. Um, well, I, I would agree, because I think it would make people look at the two top tier Republican candidates. And I think it's also going to put Hillary Clinton in a kind of uncomfortable position, because now she has to follow the um, the Obama foreign policy. And I think she can only distance herself so much from it, because then that's going to alienate his base. Right. And I, because there's really, there's really no love lost between the two candidates, the two individuals. No, there there isn't, and you know, I even think that when she was serving, there wasn't any love lost. Uh, but you know, but they but they but they're pandering to the same crowd. You know, they're it's the same electorate. Uh, Correct. And and so they gotta they gotta pretend that they're on the same side, essentially, uh, or that they. Yeah, I don't I don't know how. I mean, I don't. Because she has to thread that needle fairly. It's going to be very, very precise. Very tight. Very precise. Exactly. Very precise. I mean, I felt like the, like with the first Democratic debate, it was like, oh, everything's bad and this and that, and we're going to change things. Except for you've we've had the same policies that you're advocating for the last seven years, you know, and and you're saying that things are bad and we need to change and there's not income equality and all this and climate changes and all this stuff, right? That that are, allegedly they're going to take care of. Um, it doesn't make any sense, given that given that uh, that we've had these same policies for the last seven years. So, well, no, that's a good segue into the next segment of all this, and I'm sure we'll get back to the foreign policy side. Is we've had the Republicans have been pushing this like you guys have been running the country for seven years. Who do you think is doing the at least is, are the Republicans conveying a proper message to the American voter that hey. We're not going to do the same. We're, we have a different way to go than the than the Democrats. I mean, I, I think I think we can. You know, and I say, but I say we because I'm a lifelong Republican. But I mean, I think I think they can. Uh, but it's going to take. They have to. You know, it's going to have to be somebody that's really articulate. Um, that that can really you know bring people over. And frankly, I mean. I don't know. I mean, I don't know that the two front runners right now can do that. Uh, I, I feel like um, like a Marco Rubio might be might be the guy for the job when it comes to this sort of thing. I think so. Yeah. I don't think Donald Trump is just. I think he's too been bombastic, and he can't. He has a core group, but he's not going to be able to get the others. You know, the right, right. Can he grow? Like the right. Can he grow beyond grow, grow that, right. that that rhetoric? Right. The one thing the Republicans have to do, and this is just my opinion on this, is they got to quit saying I'm the next Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got. I mean, I got it. I served in the Marines under Ronald Reagan. I was very proud to serve him, under him as a president. But Reagan left office in January of 1989. Most people weren't even around or was able to vote. And I think the Republicans just need to convey the concerns to the American people. How we can help you, how we can help you get a job, how we can help you get to college and not have these outlandish student loan debts. And how we can uh, how we can protect you and protect our borders. Correct. And but they just need to convey that very simply. And I don't think Donald Trump is it. I think he's he's gonna alienate the Latino voters. Because I've talked to a few people and they're like, uh-uh, I'm not going with this guy. Oh, but 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 John, he's 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 you know, employed hundreds of, and they love him. They love him. He's employed hundreds well, of, uh, or thousands of Latinos over the years. Yeah. And the, see, and that's the point is that he makes these pronouncements and 
He's not being challenged on it. Even when he does the debates, if you listen, I tell people, listen to what he says. Don't listen to the rhetoric, how he says it. Just listen to his policy. He really is very simplistic answers, even from somebody who is a business owner who received a million dollar loan. So he's not like he started his business like Fred Smith, who was uh, the the president and CEO of was it FedEx, who had combat tours as a Marine infantry officer in Vietnam, which Donald Trump conveniently had deferments. Right, right. And, and so I, I look at a business owner from starting it from scratch, not giving a leg up because you were born into wealth. Right. Well, I mean, and, but, but to his credit, though, he could have been born into wealth and then screwed the pooch. Oh, correct, you know, correct. But he didn't, and he, and, he, and he took it to the, you know, to the... To the next level. Totally, I got that, totally. yeah. yeah. So, and you make a good point. Yeah, and, and, he, and he's a great negotiator, and I think that's why, that's why the, the, you know, people with this foreign policy issue and with, the, with ISIS, I think a lot of people, especially his supporters, are going to say, oh, look, you know, he knows how to deal with the situation because he's, you know... He, he can handle he can handle these complex situations where people are, you know. It's just going to be interesting what you said earlier that as long as this keeps going, do they give these, um, you know, Donald Trump and Ben Carson, do they give them added scrutiny? Like, Wait a minute. That's great that you can say all this. We like you, Ben Carson. Donald Trump, you can really, yeah, we got you. But do I can I see you as commander in chief? And I think I think John, the answer is no. If 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 ISIS is successful, let's say over the next three to six months, um, and you know there's another one or two uh, successful attacks on the level of Paris, I think I think things change dramatically with on both. Oh, the I would Republican agree with side you. as well as the Democratic side. I think that I think that people will really really t- start to take a a hard look at Hillary, and I I, I think. Frankly, I think Doc Brown. I mean, um, Bernie Sanders uh, is just he's when it comes to the foreign policy, I mean, he's kind of a joke, you know. And I, well, but see, the thing is, he just doesn't want to deal with it. He has no experience in that, so he just pushes it off, and he focuses on domestic issue. That's where most Democrats, because it just showed in that debate when there was no emotion, yeah, at all when they were talking about foreign affairs. But as soon as they got to domestic. That's when they were cheering, booing, clapping, whatever they were doing right. in relation to. Because they, I, here's my here's my take, um, having worked on campaigns and so forth. I suspect that the campaign stacked the whole audience with their people. Oh, most definitely. You know? uh, I'm sure they did, and and so that's not really something that they don't care about foreign policy. And, not, and keep in mind too that the whole uh, uh, question, you know, the whole focus of the debate changed on Friday night. Almost uh, you know, changed dramatically. dramatically. So it was supposed to be, you know, uh, domestic policies and all this other, you know, climate change and whatever nonsense they want to talk about. Um, but it, it changed because they were forced to change dramatically. And so um, they were able to, you know, so uh, it, it, everything was already set in motion. All the people were already scheduled, everything. And they don't really care about foreign policy. They care about, you know. Getting free education, we don't care about who you know. They don't care who pays for it; they just want it for free, um, you know. Or getting all these government handouts or any other, you know, anything else that they were talking about. So I think that's why you're seeing that. I think I think it doesn't really the the audience. I don't think is my point. Um, is is no, that they don't really reflect like the rank and file Democrats. The true rank and file, but I think you're correct. I mean. They want all that stuff for free, and this is where the Republicans are going to have to convey a 
a very positive, and not just from one one circle of their core supporters. They need to branch out. And I still think the Republicans have a message for a lot of the the Latino community and definitely the one demographic that really has never really voted for Republicans, and that's African-Americans, because their situation has not improved over the last eight years. It's actually gotten worse. Right. Well, and, and I mean, it's unfortunate that that's the case, but... But yes, you're right. They, they, as, as a voting block, there's something like 90% Democrat when they vote. And it doesn't matter who's, in, who's running, what policies are going on. It doesn't matter, um, you know, it, which is unfortunate. I remember uh, – this is a number of years ago, but I remember um, – and this isn't necessarily to uh, African-Americans specifically, but to Democrat voters in California. They did a poll like who's most – which party is most sympathetic and most helpful to small business? Can you guess what what Democratic voters uh, responded? They said Democrats. You know, even though, especially in California, that's like the farthest from the truth. So they, it's 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 unfortunate. There's this huge disconnect between, you know, what people are willing to do, or excuse me, what politicians are trying to do um, in the Republican on the Republican side, which has helped small business, which has helped African Americans, which has helped. Anybody that's trying to, you know, that's trying to pull yeah, middle America, middle America, exactly. Um, and then the rhetoric that they're unfortunately believing that, oh, you know, the GOP is is racist and this. And I mean, think about it. Would a black guy be leading in in the national polls and in state polls if if the GOP was racist? Well, but see, the, the other thing is, it's. I think it's slowly starting to change. It may not change in this election. If you follow the 2014 election with Governor Rumner out of Illinois, a solidly Democratic state, there was a black um, African-American pastor out of Chicago. He was telling his congregation and supporting the Republicans because he was like, we've been voting Democrat for decades. What has it gotten us? Right. They just take us for granted. So this may be an opportunity for Republicans to kind of convey a message that are concerns to the urban individuals where most African-Americans tend to live. Well, and I'm hope- right. And I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, we, we, I think you and I have had this conversation before, is that we're, we, as, as ex-Californians um, or former Californians or born, Cal- anyway, um, <laughs> whatever you want to characterize it. Uh, the ones who got out when we could. We got out when we could, exactly. Uh, we've been hoping for years that, that people would go, huh, the party that's been in power for the last de- uh, quarter century um, has run this state into the into the ground. It's uh, you know, it's literally we gave, we're giving we continue to give the keys to the drunk guy who who caused the accident and hope that oh something shit is going to change and we'll be able to stay on the road. I mean, come on, when do people finally wake up? You know, and well, I think that's that could change on one. Um, I talked to an individual who was big on the. Um, public pensions. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the public pensions, no one's really addressing. Like, you know, California's got about $280 billion shortfall. Oh, yeah. They're, they've, so got, all these th- they've got so much unfunded, you know, so many unfunded mandates, it's ridiculous. Well, but that's the same thing in Illinois, New York, New Jersey. As much as Chris Christie says his state is doing better, his state's really not. This pension fund has not been paid. And I know the one thing that was odd with Martin O'Malley, who's running for president of the Democratic side, he talks about we did this in our state. Well, his state's facing about a $100 billion shortfall. And there's no 
No one has a, a plan, and the courts have said you have to you have to give it. Once you promise somebody something, you, you can't through. take that away. Right. And nobody has come up with a solution except push it off, push it off, push it off. And and but that's right. And frankly, and frankly, John, that's the only thing they can do. You know, um, having having worked on, on on different campaigns, I mean, and and getting into the. I'm not a policy wonk by any stretch of the imagination, but we you know we do get into the. When you're on the communication side of things, you do have to communicate that to the what's going on in the campaign and how to manage things and so forth. And you know, it's amazing getting into the nuts and bolts of how they they intricately and 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 um, they, you know, pretty pretty brilliantly move things around, change, move things from fund to fund to uh, take things from the general fund to move them all over the place, just so they can kick the can down the road six months, a year, two years. Um, and unfortunately, that's the only thing they can really do because they they have this situation where you've got billions and billions of dollars of unfunded mandates, and and you have you have you either either you have to declare bankruptcy, which California I know has explored, but they can't. They can't. Um, or you've got to just somehow fund them, raise taxes. You know. But see, the problem with that is, and you're absolutely right. They keep kicking the can down the road, but now the can. It's hit a brick wall right. at some, because, like, Chicago, right? Exactly. At some point, some the 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 you know, not that I'm a big fan of uh, oh, what's his what's the uh, Obama's past or whatever his name. The chickens have come home to roost. You know, it that's it's going to happen. You know, where where people, you know, loans are going to be recalled. You know, things are going to happen. You know, it seems crazy, and and people are thinking, oh, that'll never happen, but but it ultimately it will. It will. But like Chicago, I think their teachers. Um, school district is facing like a $500 million shortfall. They floated them a lo- uh, some loan to get by this year, but next year they're facing, was it $500 million for the teachers, a unified school district, well, I mean teachers, Chicago unified school district, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And then the city is facing about a $20 billion shortfall. And there's no way to pay it back because they gave up their parking revenue for the next 80 years. They can't get that back. They're locked in. 80 years. They gave, wow. They gave it away for such an enormous for decades. Wow! Yeah. And now Rahm Emanuel, who was the chief of staff to Barack Obama in his first term, he's got to figure a way how to get out of that. And the courts have said you got to pay this. Governor Rumner is not giving him a loan because the states broke. The Democratic legislature in Illinois, they want to raise taxes. And said we did that. That's not working. Yeah. I know a guy who's moving his construction company, a big major construction company, here to Florida. Yeah. Because he's doing what you and me did, getting out of those states. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I meet so many people from not just California here in here in uh, Central Texas, but um, from Illinois, from New York. Those are like the two biggest states. You know, uh, just because it's so, it, they're just driving people out in droves because their policies don't work. I saw, you know. Um, um, I saw a a, a, a a bumper sticker recently that said, you know, if you moved here from California, please don't bring your policies because if they if they worked, if they worked, then you would you would have, you, you would have never moved, right, or something to that effect. And I was like, well, it's right you know on. the one thing that's the one thing that's interesting that really hasn't you're starting to hear a little bit about it is the Republicans have done extremely well 
at the bottom ticket races, you know, the governorships, the state legislatures. And in 2020, as you know, that's when the census comes out. Mm -hmm. And California in 2010, since we both come from that state, was the first time since 1849 did not gain one electoral seat. Mm -hmm. They're looking that California may lose at least a congressional seat in the next census because mm-hmm. they're losing too many people. Right. right. Well, and, and I had this conversation with with uh, somebody here recently about the, you know they were asking is California at a deficit when it comes to uh, you know population, and while while I haven't looked at the figures you know recently, um, I made the point to him that that uh, it may be close to even or maybe maybe a little bit negative, but the, but it's the quality of people that are leaving that that's important. You know, you have like college students or just out of college people, you know, just recent graduates. You have um, maybe single people or whoever moving to California, but you've got business owners and people who create jobs and um, those types of people that are leaving and going to Nevada and they're going to Arizona and they're coming to places like Texas and Florida, you know, um, places in Tennessee where they can get where they don't have crazy amounts of red tape and overhead. And then the cost of living. And that's, I think, the biggest driver of this whole. I mean, whatever candidate on both the Democrat and the Republican side can address, that's the concern of most voters is the economy. Mm-hmm. It is. I talked to I talked to too many young people who are worried about, oh, I'm graduating from college. I got to go live at home or I'm graduating from college. I want to go get my graduate degree, but I can't afford it. Mm-hmm. My parents don't have the money. What am I going to do? What kind of job am I going to get? And all we're getting is fourteen dollar an hour jobs when you should be getting a little higher wage than that. Mm-hmm. Well, especially as a college graduate. I mean when I graduated college, you know, people were getting, you know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, you know, in you know um, you know, annual annual uh income. And so, you know, that's unfortunately from what I understand, and you know, I'm not in the I'm not in the workforce you know, in the lower tier workforce, but that's just not happening anymore. People are coming out of college and they're just not having any opportunities. No, and that's the thing. There, there are no opportunities. Yeah, you can get it. People always said there was jobs out here. I got that. But is it the kind of jobs that, and even the jobless report or the unemployment report by the labor uh, department has said that. It's mostly, you know, decent work, but it's not earth shattering. Well, and it's nothing that, you know, if you paid, Fifty or sixty or eighty thousand dollars for a degree, you know, it, the the work you're getting is not justifying that uh, that expense, you know, um, and 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 unfortunately, you know, I mean, Obama's all about getting you know getting back to uh, the president and the race and so forth. Obama's all about you know everyone should have a college education. Well, not everybody needs a college education. Not everybody wants a college education. Well. Marco Rubio said that. Where did we come along in a society where we stigmatize vocational work? My younger brother, he makes a six-figure salary. He didn't go to college. Yeah. He's a superintendent for a construction company, and he makes more money than I yeah. do. Well, and then more power to him. I, I you know, I uh, it, not every like I, like I said, not everybody needs to go to college. Not everybody wants to go to college. Lots of people like to. They like different vocations, such as you know construction, like your brother, or or um, you know um, getting into metalwork or ironwork or all or any kind of situation. You know, being an electrician, um, you don't need to go to college for those types of jobs. But the 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 funny thing is, when you mentioned something earlier 
about small business. Now, you're familiar with the Brookings Institute, right? Um, not too much. Okay, the Brookings Institute is a progressive think tank in Washington, D.C. Okay. Well, in May of 2014, they came out with a report, and they said small business startups. I mean, it's called it new business and old business. Old business was anything 15 years or older was an old business. Anything below 15 years is a new business. Mm-hmm. Now, they saw that new business is plummeted. Now, it didn't just start under this administration, but it's accelerated. There's, more, there's less new businesses starting up. Now, you see corporate places grabbing all this job, look at corporations, they're moving here, moving there. But what they're doing is they're pushing out the small business owner. Mm-hmm. And the small business owner is about 60 to 80% of the American job force. Right. And most people work for a company, 50 employees or less. Well, if you start for and all the policies that are enacted by Washington are hampering small business, Dodd-Frank, the Obamacare or healthcare law. I talked to numerous small businesses. They're getting killed under that one. Right. Right. And, and, and then, and, well, and as you know, a lot of this stuff, this is, it's, all this has happened in California, you know, where small businesses are just getting hammered with the red tape and the fees and the, and the, you know, uh, the high taxes and everything, right? Well, the next one that's going to hit California hit about six states. I know California and New York are two of them. Mm-hmm. When the recession went at its height, uh, California and these states had to borrow from the federal government to fill its unemployment insurance. I interviewed a gentleman out here who owns a couple of restaurants in Florida, and they had to pay pay back so that they already finished theirs. But in California, that they're going to be assessed around $126 per employee wow. come January 1. In order to backfill and pay back the federal government. Right, to, to, to pay, to pay back, back fill the, and all right, that. To pay back the federal government. And this is on top of all the new taxes coming in, but especially on top of the new mandate for that small business have to affect for the Affordable Care Act, or as was commonly known, Obamacare. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so, the, yeah. The uh, uh, it kills me that they call it the Affordable Care Act because it's it's neither affordable it, nor care. Well, it is an act, <laughs> but it is not. It's neither affordable nor care. Well, now the final question, because I don't want to be you know keep you on too long on this. Because you work at a public a public relations firm, and I know you deal with a lot with the media. What candidate do you think is doing um, is really connecting with the voter? It really kind of comes across really well when he has the debate or on the campaign stump or just knows how to bring his message forward. It's a good. That's a good question, and um, I think that we see. You know, the, my, my my quick answer is that you know the 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 top the top four or five candidates are are, are the ones that are connecting. I mean, maybe that that's obviously that's obvious, right? But I, th- I, but I think the ones that are in the in a, in an upward trajectory are uh, Marco Rubio and a Ted Cruz, right? I think Correct. that I think that people are coming around. I think that people are seeing them, um, and kind of it, their message is resonating. And especially especially for Rubio, he just is so sharp and so smart, and and really can just connect with. You know, um, with the average voter, because you know he came from poverty. You know his, they, you know his parents came over from Cuba. Um, he has a pretty compelling. He's message. a very compelling message, and I think as voters get to know him more and more, you know, he, his his star is going to rise. You know, quicker and quicker. 
you know. And I think that because he's a sitting U.S. senator, because he's got that experience, um, ultimately, I think he's in a better position than either than than either Trump, you know, or Carson. Now, if you take it to the other side, Donald Trump has pretty much taken over the, this race, basically, except for you know Ben Carson's starting to move up around mm-hmm. there, you know, kind of keeping him even. How long can you think that the way he presents himself, because he's very in-your-face bombastic. If you challenge him, he just really attacks you. Would that resonate with people over a time period? Uh, you know, I, it's funny because my wife and I have this conversation. She can't stand Trump because he's, he's basically a pompous ass, you know, from a certain perspective, you know. Okay. Um, and so I think the answer to the question is no, is that ultimately – He's going to keep his core supporters, but I feel like unless he can, unless he tempers and makes a shift in his in his rhetoric, I think that he's going to alienate too many people. Uh, you know that which will prevent him from getting the nomination. Now, does that include because now we're getting this issue with ISIS, um, the Middle East, Putin? Are they going to look to him now to see what kind of policies, what kind of clear cut policies? I mean, we don't have that detailed, but. Are we going to want the grown-up in the room or are we going to want someone who just screams and yells type thing? Well, I mean, unfortunately, um, America has been about screaming and yelling and like, <laughs> you know, just, you know, um, rhetoric and who has the best message and who sounds really nice. I mean, I'm, you know, I go back to Obama in 2004 when I first saw him. You know, he gave a speech at the Democrat National Convention um, back in back in 2004 and – he, I mean, I wanted to vote for him. I mean, without thinking about it, I wanted to vote for him. He sounded amazing, you know. But then I had to like check myself and say, okay, let, hold on, <laughs> let me think about this. Let's put logic to it. And I'm like, no, I can't vote for this guy. He's crazy left. Um, but I think people are going to do the same thing, you know, with 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 Trump. And um, can I really? Do I really want to vote for a reality star to to run the country? And Correct. Maybe yes, maybe no, but I mean, I, I, I kind of come down on the side that at the end of the day, um, you know, they're gonna people are gonna opt for for somebody that has that has experience and that ha- that connects Stability. with people and it's compelling, like a like a Rubio. Um, you know, I have my doubts about Cruz in terms of a general election, but I think he really resonates with with uh, the Republican base. He obviously correct because um, because I see it that. This whole ISIS thing, ISIS attack in Paris, I think it threw the campaigns of both the Democrats and Republicans on its head. Now people were going to start, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do I really want someone who's just shouting and screaming and just said, this is what we're going to do without any kind of thought? Right. And I think, I think now, and if, I think you're right, if there's another attack, God forbid... I think people are really going to want stability. They want somebody. I want someone who's a little bit more experienced in the political. I don't need somebody who's just going to be screaming and yelling. And do I look at that person as commander in chief? Right. Right. And that, right. Exactly. And I think I think if there's another significant attack on another Western, um, unfor- I mean, unfortunately, on another Western um, city, country, uh, whether it's whether it's London or Madrid or Berlin or whatever. You know, it's going to take something like that, you know, versus like, you know, there was the, the, the attack last week in Beirut. Like no one hardly paid attention. Right. Correct. Um, 
So it's going to take something along those lines. And if it does happen, then people are really going to be thinking about this. And it's going to really, like I said before, and I'm repeating myself, but it's really going to shake up the race. Yes. Now, the, the, again, this is the final, final question. How does this Clinton Foundation, because she's going to be the nominee. I think everybody knows she's going to be it. Where do you see the Clinton Foundation and beyond the Benghazi thing? I think that's run its course, even though I know there's something there because she's made some inconsistent statements there. But I think the foundation. You mean mean blatant lies? But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, but I think the foundation, because now they did redid their taxes and they got $20 million from foreign donors all the time where she was secretary of state. Now we're waiting on the FBI report to see is was there gross negligence in her handling of classified documents mm-hmm. how does this impact the democratic race because this is it she's it she is I, I i absolutely agree she's it i mean sanders is he's he's a he's a nice caricature and it's entertaining and so forth um but but at the end of the day i don't think he's you know he's there's no real way he's going to win the nomination um and I, I do think that it, it, that she she is going to be it. Um, what's and, and frankly that scares me because people, you know, um, well, it's for, I, I can't even I don't even know where to start. But but um, I think that people on the Democrat side anyway don't really care. They frankly don't care about Benghazi. They don't care that. She's failed in so many different ways. They just look at, oh, she's a woman and she's Hillary and so forth. So, uh, But what if the scandal – what if the FBI sends something to the Justice Department said there was gross – Well, I think, I, think, I think if people go to jail and people get arrested and you know, there's a really a pers- – you know, I think she got close with the email, the email scandal um, – where it really, really damaged her, to her image and her campaign. I think, yeah. Then I think it might be a game changer. Because the one thing that's a, to me, it's a change is the independent voters really despise her. I mean, you can get, you can, you may know running campaigns is all our, for a while now. You know, you can get your base gend up for you, but that's not going to win you an election. No, it's not. You have to get those independent voters, and the server issue is huge. Yeah. Because if the FBI sends an, um, they wanted, they said a crime was committed, and the, the Justice Department doesn't indict, just like they did with Lois Lerner. Will the FBI kind of release some of that just to say we are ticked off because we know she did something, we have proof that she did something, but you decide for political reasons not to indict? Yeah, I, I don't know, and that's unfortunate because with Lois Lerner, like that, she should be in jail, and you know, frankly, uh, uh, much of the IRS leadership should be in jail. But correct. I mean, that's not a partisan issue. That's just that's just like, did you fact. break the law or not? Like, hey, if I said, hey, look, I lost all my emails and I lost my financial records and I didn't end up paying my taxes, um, you know, sorry. Like, that, is that going to Huns- fly? No, no, absolutely no, not. You'll be in Huntsville. You'll be in Huntsville. State exactly. Prison. Exactly. <laughs> it's so ridiculous that that this. So it, anyway. I guess it's just going to be interesting. I guess that's we can have a further discussion on that one. But I think it's I just personally believe it's going to put this cloud over her all the way through the general election. And, and, and if something comes out there, I think the Democrats put their horse to the wrong person. They could have fixed it early, early on. Yeah. She froze everybody out. Yeah. 
and now they're going to be almost reacting to events instead of shaping right, events. Right. And I, and I think that uh, and for honestly, I think she can survive it all. You know, Clintons are very good about doing that. Oh yes. Um I think she can survive it all, but there there may be a point that that, that tips it over the edge. So, but it, it, well, I just don't think Hillary's her husband. And her husband was likable. Right. Hillary's not likable. No, no she's not. Because because Bill's like everybody wants to be Bill's friend. They want He's he's the guy you want to have a beer with and hang out on a Saturday night, right? Correct. Um, Hillary, you're like, yeah. Can I get away from her? You know. <laughs> like, yeah. So. so you're right. You're right. I, I think that her threshold for tolerance is a lot lower than his. Correct. So I guess this is just going to be. We'll have to wait and see. And again, finally, how do we find out about Razor Sharp Public Relations? How does somebody go to find out about your company? Well, you know, you, it's very simple. Just go to there you go. <laughs> RazorSharpPR.com. RazorSharpPR.com. You can learn all about us. Um, contact information is there. Uh, and we're happy to chat with anybody who needs publicity or manage you know, perceptions. Okay. Well, there you go. If you want to find out more about Razor Sharp uh, Public Relations – there's the way to find out how to go. Just Google it. I did that. Looked up his company. It's very good, great company. Does some great things. I'd like to thank Ray for being on Ubaldi Reports. You can find out more about this show and re- listen to more by going to iTunes and Stitcher. Sign up. It's free. Leave comments so I know what you're thinking, what things you want to hear on this show. Also, I have a book out called The New Business Brigade. You can find that on Amazon. It's a bestseller. And the premise of the book is why businesses should hire veterans in the untapped resource they represent. And again, I would like to thank Ray Young, president of Razor Sharp Public Relations, for being on Ubali Report. And thanks again, right, Ray. Thanks again, John. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you next time. And we'll be talking again. And keep following uh, Ubali Reports. And we're going to have a lot more of these type of uh, conversation and topics. So thank you for listening. Hey.